that's the great thing about the sip is that we make it okay to not know, but to enjoy. And I think that's the one thing that I want our customers to feel like, that it's okay if you like the $10 wine over the $90 wine. It's your palate. It's your choice. And it doesn't make you anything other than who you are. Hello and welcome to Shopify Masters, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Shwang Esther Shan. Have you ever gone out to purchase a bottle of sparkling wine and were overwhelmed by your options? Or maybe you've been invited to a party and needed just the right bottle that's light, crisp, and perfect for the occasion. Well, best friends Erica Davis and Katherine Carter launched a place where you can discover, taste, and learn about your favorite sparkling wines all without breaking the bank. They founded The Sip, a champagne and bubbly wine tasting community where anyone could curate their own luxury experience. Erica and Catherine are here to share how they packaged and sold a wine tasting experience, expanded their business through accelerator programs, and why representation matters in the wine industry. Erica, Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So excited to chat about the sip because I know that it's born out of your friendship and your rituals of having girls night. Can you tell us how that tradition built the foundation for this business? Catherine and I met in college, so we've been friends forever. Um, And I think the special thing about our friendship is like we went to two totally different schools, but we always found a way to stay connected. And we took a special trip to Shandon one year and we absolutely fell in love with it. And I think we subscribed together and it's what kind of kicked off our girls' nights. And our girls' nights would be around discovering a new bottle of sparkling wine specifically. And that really started our love for sparkling wine, but also just like how we connected. And it sounds weird to say you connected around alcohol, but it's more of like the joy and the celebratory feeling that you get when you drink sparkling wine. I think for a lot of friends, the story might have ended there. They have a ritual. They have wine night. What was it about this ritual that motivated you to actually start a business? For me personally, my mother is an entrepreneur. My grandmother was an entrepreneur. And Catherine and I had always kicked around this idea of doing something in business together, just honestly as a side hustle more than actually having it be our main thing, I think. And at the time I was at a startup, she was managing and doing logistics. So it just made sense. And I mean, we had wild ideas. Our first idea was nailed it, a nail subscription. And it just didn't feel authentic to who we were. And it didn't feel authentic to our friendship. And so for us, like when we were doing girls nights, I think the idea really sparked around when we saw a a gap in access, a gap and understanding, I think as two Black girls from Oakland who go into Napa, this thought that we need to know everything to enjoy it was always pressed upon us or that we liked it sweet or we wanted specifically pink and it actually didn't work for our palettes. And so when we saw that, we knew there was something there. So we kicked it off and we just wanted to take a sip of everything and that's kind of how the sip started. And what was it like for you, Catherine? It became a tradition We were starting to run out of our go-to bottles or we're having trouble finding new bottles to discover. 
Also, we both got married around the same time. We had kids around the same time. So now we have budgets around the same time. So we wanted to invest our money. We wanted to invest it well. And so being able, like Erica said, to take a sip of something, decide if we like it, and to understand why we liked it became more and more important to us when we got together to do our tastings. And so, like she said, we realized this couldn't be something that just we struggled with. It had to be something that other people found as a challenge too. And we also knew getting together with your best friend and drinking wine can't be something that only we like. There's got to be other people interested in that as well. And so from there, we decided to go ahead and start the company. So you have this idea. How did you then approach the process of researching, sampling, and selecting different locations, brands, and wineries to include in the sip? One of the first things that we did is work with what was already kind of established. So we worked with wines that we had heard of, brands that we had heard of. We did research on different types of sparkly wines and just found the distributors that made them and started building those connections and those resources so that we could start to put together our own box. I think one of the things that we knew was important is it's not about making a box that's Erica's favorite wines or my favorite wines, but really just having a discovery of something new and different so people can find their own flavor and what they like. And so, I mean, I guess that's the best part about our company. It's a lot of fun taste testing, going out there, meeting new people, new wines, and curating boxes that work. And Erica, for you, how did the process of including the community in this selection process, and why was it so important to include them in the building of not just boxes, but also ideas, feedback for the business as well? Like Catherine was saying, when we first started, it was all about researching and figuring out what we wanted to do and why we wanted to do it. And so much part of that is about giving back for us. And so it almost, it wasn't even a big discussion, honestly. It was more of like, okay, let's figure out how we can also make money, but also give back. And it just ran with it. So for us, we're both from Oakland, California. We wanted to find an organization that was meaningful for both of us, that helped people, that was about equity of life. And that's what EOCP is about. It's about taking that individual and helping them throughout their life individually for what they need versus giving this mass approach to people who may need things differently. And I think it was very similar and mirrored what we were doing for the SIP. For us, it's all about what's great for your palate, which is what Catherine was saying. And so when we look at it from a merchandising perspective, it's more of like, how do we give people themes? and see what they like and they can choose. And EOCP does that from a person's perspective. Like how do we give them options and they choose what's best for them. So for us, it's called take a sip, give a sip. And for every box, bottle, accessory you purchase on our site, we actually donate 16 ounces of clean water. And thus far we've donated over 7,000 gallons. Such an impactful arm of the business that you build into the model right off the bat. And I would love to get deeper into that later on in the show. I think another great aspect of the brand is the branding in itself. Everything from your boxes, accessories, the web design, it's very cohesive and it's bold and bright and friendly. So tell us a little bit about the creative process that went to it to develop a branded community. It was fun. We actually worked with a brand, but what I wanted to make sure is that we created this brand to be a reflection of ourselves and things that we saw in other people. And so 
I personally think the sass comes from my side and the sweetness and the friendliness comes from Catherine's side. So it's like a blend of both of us. And I think that that's what makes it great is that it's all celebratory. You can be both. You don't have to be one or the other. And for us, it was more about being approachable. It was about speaking a language, not being condescending. And just quite frankly, just being that best friend that gives you like the real, like, this is really how it tastes. We make this joke and we laugh about it all the time, but I didn't know what a black currant was. And it's literally in almost every single tasting note of a wine that I personally like. And so it's interesting to have something that's saying black currant and I can't put my finger on it. It actually tastes like cherry Coke to me. And I'm okay saying that. And I think that's the great thing about the sip is that we make it okay to not know, but to enjoy. And I think that's the one thing that I want our customers to feel like that it's okay if you like the $10 wine over the $90 wine. It's your palate. It's your choice. And it doesn't make you anything other than who you are to choose what's great for you. And that's what the brand should feel like. So when you get that box, it should feel like a celebration and it should feel like your decision. I love it. Just through our short interactions, I can feel the sassy and sweet that you've mentioned between yourself and Catherine. So Catherine, tell us a little bit about how the branding exercise was for you. It was a completely new world, to be very honest. Erica comes from startups. She's dealt with building a brand and like what the message should be. It was just funny because Erica went through so many versions of things to get it to like perfection. And for me, the whole way, I'm just like, oh, that looks good. That looks good to me. (laughs) That looks good to me. I don't have the same eye for that. And I don't have always the same language that she has. So I think that's one of those things where Erica really thrived and strived. But at the end, both of our voices were seen in there. But I just remember going through the process with Erica, someone who's clearly a veteran at it versus someone who's completely new, who's just like, oh, I like that pink. I like that green. Oh no, you're right. Gold is better. That I think that was one of those fun parts of building the brand and learning where our strengths and weaknesses are and how we can like help each other give different aspects to the company. Sometimes when you have too many people in the branding process that are veterans, you tend to overthink it. So it was nice to have someone that comes in with a fresh eye that's like, actually, those greens just kind of look the same to me and they don't give me any different feeling versus like us being like, no, this evokes this feeling or just, you know, overthinking it and it just being like, we want to pick a color that looks great. We don't need to have the perfect, perfect, perfect green shade over here. So While like she might have thought like her input wasn't as impactful, I think sometimes in the midst of it, like we were going down rabbit holes and to have someone just be like, I think it looks fine. It helps stunt the process, right? Like, okay, let's go on to what is actually more impactful, like coffee. Yeah, let's build the box now. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is great because you both bring complementary skills and the two of you really balance each other out. So tell us a bit about both of your backgrounds in your career and how you determined the roles that you both have and the areas of business you guys look after. We kind of split it up as Erica being everything before the purchase of the box and me everything after the purchase of the box. My background is in management, operations, and customer service. And so that's really what I own with the company as far as building relations with the different vendors and distributors that we work with, as far as 
being the voice to our customers and helping them find resolutions and also helping them understand the brand and who we are and why they should purchase with us and why it's fun to be a member. That's really kind of my background and where I fit in with the SIP. By trade, I'm a merchant. And so storytelling, branding come natural to me. And so that's really where I lay my expertise. So I'm over marketing. I'm over the website because that is a bigger marketing piece. Our website over merchandising all of our products and then the branding and the storytelling of our brand. It's something that we haven't heard of on the show before where the role was divided through like the purchasing journey. So it's very cool to hear. I really wanted to talk about something that a lot of wine consumers don't think about day to day, which is the gender gap that exists within the industry where women are mostly the consumers while Actually, men are running most of the industry, and especially as women of color who are founders of the SIP. Can you share a little bit why it was so important for you to start this business? Representation matters from all sides, right? Not just as Black people, but as Black women and just as women in general. And even just from a business perspective, right? Who speaks to who better? Women know women, right? I wouldn't start a brand for men and have no men in the conversation. That would make no sense, right? But so often that happens for us. And I think that's the great thing about the SIP is we're able to actually rebrand things that weren't built by women, but for women. So when we have that box, so many of those bottles that are in that box, we recapture that, we recurate that to speak in a woman's language and we're unapologetically feminine, right? And so that's not for every single woman and we get that. But for us, it's important to have a say in what we like and take back that independence. And I think so often, I said it earlier, as women, and specifically as Black women, we're told what we like. I can't tell you how many times people just assume I like sweet wine. It's ridiculous. I actually hate sweet wine. It's just not good for my palate. And so I think it's important for people to be okay with not going against the stereotypes. And I think it's okay for people to have that power to say, actually, I prefer this. And this is why. And I think we give them that knowledge as to why. We did find our own community of Black winemakers, Black female winemakers. It's small but mighty. And they're super helpful, super supportive. And so I think that is one of the great things that we've learned in this journey is that within this community, we found another community and we're a part of it and we're helping build each other up um, one box at a time. Erica, for you personally, I know that you worked in fashion and beauty where a lot of individuals who might be on the ground floor or lower in the corporate ladder are actually women because they understand the consumers who are of those industries. And now you are in a management and ownership position. What advice do you have for those individuals who want to start something of their own to cater to their own demographic, but they may be feeling like a little intimidated because they weren't given the opportunity in those management roles before? Man, I feel like this new generation is not going to have a problem with that. But if they are, I mean, I just feel like they're really bold. And I think millennials, we kind of kicked it off. But this new generation, Gen Z, they're a different breed. I think they inherently have that confidence. But for those who don't, I think one of the best things that I ever did is soak up all different perspectives. Even if I didn't agree with it, right? And I think that so often when you don't agree with the, the opinion, you disregard it and you don't listen to why. I listen to the why. It's always good to understand 
the opposite of what your thought process is. Soak up all the knowledge from people that you may like, you don't like, but are in those C-suites and those VP suites because there's a reason why they're there, right? And then once you've soaked up that knowledge and you have direction and you have purpose and you're excited about the idea, then start looking into it. I think it's always good to start at the bottom. I think it's always good to learn from everyone and don't discount any information because nothing's ever going to be perfect. You're never going to get into a situation where there's all women with the same thought process. And I also think the diversity of thought is just as important as diversity of color. Catherine and I, we agree with a lot of things, but sometimes we see things opposite and that makes a brand better because not everyone in the world thinks alike. So if you want to build a brand that's for multiple people, you need to have multiple thoughts. I'm chatting with Erica Davis and Catherine Carter, the co-founders of The Sip, a place where you can discover new and innovative sparkling wines. I hope you're enjoying our conversation. And if you haven't already, please subscribe or follow Shopify Masters wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review or feedback for the show. Thanks. We understand that there's a lot of restrictions and red tape when working with alcoholic products. How did you go about selecting a third-party distributor to help optimize the process? Definitely working in this particular field, there is a lot of red tape. There's a lot of things that you have to go through. Overall, when it comes to the legal side, there isn't really a shortcut. So I would just say, just take your time, get your licensing get your ducks in a row. Don't try to rush that process or you'll spend a lot of time on the back end trying to correct it later. Schedule that time for that. When it comes to picking our distributors, we have distributors both for our product and for how we ship our product. My best advice would be don't reinvent the wheel unless you absolutely have to. Again, this is an industry that's established. There are a lot of people who already have great processes in place. And so there's a lot of places where you can pick up from without having to start from scratch. For us, particular in alcohol, there are about five main distributors in the country. Go ahead and start there, especially if you want to have a variety of things that you want to use. Build those relationships, get those resources learn how they operate and how you can be in relationship with them. And then from there, when you're ready to move on to smaller distributors and to expand your portfolio, you can do that as well. And the same when it comes to shipping. There are a lot of companies that already specialize in how to ship wine, the best ways to pack it and everything like that. And so go ahead and learn from those as well. And that's the piece of not reinventing the wheel. The part of reinventing the wheel that we've kind of taken on is a lot of subscription companies often will quickly default to a third-party packer. Like Erica was talking about with our brand and how much work we've put into it and how much care we put into it and how important it is to our overall business, that's a piece we wanted to have full control of. And so we've kept our packing in-house. We invented the wheel there. We have custom boxes. We have custom inserts. Everything from us is original and it's the sip. And that's a piece that was important to us and to our brand, to our company. So again, if you need to invent the wheel to stay true to your company, to your mission and to the goals you're trying to accomplish, do that. But definitely start with looking at resources and how you can just effectively kind of hit the ground running as quickly as possible. 
I really like that because you've optimized and allowed third-party companies to help in the parts that doesn't impact the experience per se, but you've held on to that boxing and unboxing experience by keeping the packing in-house. So it's really cool to hear. So the SIP was also a part of the launch accelerator program and it did help the business to grow. So what advice do you have for founders who are looking to apply to different accelerator programs? First, they need to decide whether or not they want to bootstrap or if they want to be VC back. And I think that there's this thought process now that if you want to start a business, it has to be a startup and then it has to be venture back in order for it to be successful. When it's really just about the measurement of growth, like how quickly do you want to scale and how quickly will you be ready to scale, right? And so Once you decide that, and if you think that you have a business that's positioned to scale fast, then I'd say start looking at the top accelerator programs or smaller ones that meet your criteria. So if you're a woman, I really think it's important to look at those things, to look at who's controlling the accelerator, to look at what type of VCs actually come to that accelerator. Specifically, if you're a direct-to-consumer product, make sure that they understand direct-to-consumer. They are investors that come to that program that actually invest in consumer products because it's probably one of the smaller industries that are actually get invested in. And you should go in there with an open mind and readiness to learn and listen. I think when we first did our launch accelerator program, it was the first time I was amongst multiple different types of stages of CEOs or founders. So you have to get ready for that mix and understanding that like, even though you know some stuff, you might not know everything. And so you have to humble yourself. But I think they're incredibly helpful, especially in terms of networking. So I would say, do your research. Don't just join the top accelerator program because they say it's the top accelerator program. Join the one that's actually going to be the most beneficial for you at the stage that you're in. and is going to give you what you need based off of your roadmap. And for Catherine, what advice do you have for people once they're in an accelerator program, how to make sure that they gain the most from that experience? Well, I really agree with Erica. I would say definitely, I think a good practice would probably be to just make a list of what you want to get by the end of the program, and then maybe just start working on that list throughout. I think one of the biggest pieces is definitely if you're starting super fresh the way I was. Take the time to learn those fundamentals. Take the time to network. A lot of our peers ended up becoming customers. So that was fun. And that's because of the networking and talking about your product. But I would definitely say stay focused on that. Also, for me, being on the operations side is definitely think about in the acceleration programs, time management. We're lucky enough to be co-founders. I think you can definitely be a solo founder. I don't know how people do it, though. But you've got to keep the business running while you're doing it. Or you've got to manage in the expectations that certain pieces of the business may have to take a back seat while you grow in these other ways. And so definitely think about that piece, too, while you're going through it. And I know for each business is different. For the SIP, when did you feel like it was the right stage to look at outside funding? We did a couple of things. So we did Launch Accelerator, but before Launch Accelerator, Y Combinator has a low-level version where you just go in and you learn. And so we did that before I think we started officially, we kicked it off. And that was just to get some like understanding of the difference between bootstrap and then VC back. So initially, we honestly just thought we were going to bootstrap it. 
to be honest. And then one of my like really close friends, he had just sold his startup and I started talking to him about ours. He saw where we were in terms of traction. He saw where we were in terms of our beta, our MVP, our website. And he was like, I think you might be ready. And so I met with a VC who's our biggest VC right now, like our biggest supporter, our biggest champion. And it was just about having a conversation and getting advice from them. And I think like two months in, two, three months in, he was just like, well, when are you going to pitch me? And I think that's when we decided, (laughs) like we got asked to pitch and that doesn't happen very often. So I don't want people to think that like, if you have these conversations, it's going to turn into an investment because it doesn't always. But for us, I think we were like-minded and not all money for your business is good money. And we had to learn that. When someone takes an investment into your business, it's like a marriage. You have to like that person. You want them to be on your side. You, More importantly, you want to see the benefit that they also have to the company. You don't just want to take a check and then have to figure it all out for yourself. Like the best part of having a VC my opinion is the network and the support you get and the expertise from doing this over and over so we don't have to make the mistakes that other people have. Meeting them, having the conversations, getting the support, getting the advice for free, let me know that they were the right partners for us. And then we took it, then we did the accelerator, and it's probably the best decision we ever made for our company. I know that a lot of founders are nervous about getting their financials in order and making sure that their different metrics are appealing to different investors. What are some metrics or financials that founders should take a note of and get prepped before pitching someone? When we think about scaling, right, like it's your main KPI. So what are the key performance indicators that really matter? When you are a consumer business, revenue is king, right? Like how are you going to make it What's the margin look like? And more importantly, how are you acquiring customers and how are you doing that at an efficient CAC? Like CAC can't be too high. So cost to acquire a customer. And then how are you going to scale that, right? Is this scalable or is this grassroots? Is it really going to take you so far? How can you be that billion dollar business and do you see it and how do you see it? And so for us on the financial and the marketing side, because marketing goes hand in hand with scalability, right? It was more about figuring out One, how are we obtaining our customers? Is this a one-off? Can we repeat this? And if we repeat this, how much is it going to cost to repeat this? And how long can we repeat this? And so it's about looking at measurements like that and then looking at your retention rate and your revenue over time. And I think for us, we had found a really cool niche in how we were obtaining our customers. We did it at a really low cost. And for a lot of investors, that was appealing. And so I urge people to think about scalability especially if you are a consumer product, a direct-to-consumer brand, or B2B, about how you're going to get that next customer, right? Is your process repeatable? Can you do this over and over again and maintain the same results or similar results? If you can do that, your business is scalable. If you cannot repeat it and you don't know how you're going to repeat it, I'd say continue to bootstrap until you figure it out. So we mentioned take a sip, give a sip the program that you had since the beginning of the brand. Can you share how you were able to tie this giving back element and making sure the business was both profitable and impactful? It was important that it be the foundation of the start of our business because we're both two natives from Oakland and we have a great understanding of we didn't get to where we are by ourselves. We've got great families, a great community that's raised us and shaped us of who we are. And so We want to build that into the company. 
I think it just went hand in hand that any profit that was made, there had to be a give back element to it, making sure that we're profitable so that we can give back. I think for us, having the direct give back for every purchase helps make it easy. So there's not a month where we can say, well, let's look at the numbers. And if we don't hit this number, then we're not giving a donation. Regardless of how the quarter goes, how the month goes, there's going to be a purchase. So there's going to be a donation. And I think having that just very clear and straightforward um, message really resonates with our customers. Because when you're giving to a company, unfortunately, sometimes you do have to think like, well, how much is this is actually going to help somebody? And with our model, you don't have to think about that. You just know my purchase is giving this much to someone in need. And so for us, it's just been so important to make sure that we drive that home. It's all over our webpage. We talk about that to our customers every time they make a purchase because we want them to know that their purchase is impactful. It sounds like there's great values where it's accessible, it's inclusive, and you're also having this impact. So the SIP is not focused just on hyper growth, but also stable growth for the company. Can you tell us how the decision process is like for this goal? And what are some exciting new products or launches that we should keep an eye out for? We are focused on hyper growth, but we're also focused on hyper growth that's retention based, right? And so part of our core business is our subscription. And I think those are your most loyal customers, right? And those are the people who are going to stick with you. And those are the people who actually honestly help us mold the brand. They give a ton of good feedback. I think one of the great things that comes out of customer service with Catherine and her team is a lot of the feedback of the things that we're doing right. But more importantly for me, I like to hear about the things that we're not doing so satisfactory. And that comes from a brand perspective, the website perspective, a product perspective, and they're vocal. And that's where it comes to like making sure that you're hyper-focused on your customer and you're hyper-focused on that healthy growth, right? That's the healthy growth. And that's the retention-based growth. Those are the people who are the most impactful. We also do B2B, which is hyper-growth for us as business to business. We do a lot of corporate gifting and we want to scale. So we are a VC-backed company. And for us, it's always figuring out new and innovative ways to meet our customers, whether that's at a festival, a newsletter, like whatever we decide she's at. We took a ton of time and did a lot of PR. And I think we've had some great partnerships. And for us, that's how we grow. And that's how our, we see our brand growing. So it's just about balancing the two and understanding your business model. And for us, it's dual, right? A lot of brands sometimes are just direct to consumer or just B2B. We happen to be a hybrid and it works for us, but it's also what helps us scale. Amazing. And maybe Catherine, you want to share about some new product launches or new initiatives that you guys can share? Every other month we do our subscription box. So coming up here in March, we have our subscription box that's coming out. So it's a perfect time to go ahead and join. Um, that's what we have going up. We always have new like special curated boxes that we'll put up. So just go ahead and check our website at thesip.com. The best ways to really subscribe and join our email list so that we can send you what's up and coming for the new year. We'll keep our eyes peeled to thesip.com. Well, thank you so much for being here, Erica and Catherine. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having us. That's Erica Davis and Catherine Carter, co-founders of The Sit. 
And thank you for joining us on Shopify Masters. Our show is produced by Megan Coyle and Gogo Zoger. Our engineers are Matt Schwartz and Miku Betlam. Benjamin Gottlieb is our supervising producer and I'm Shwang Esther Shan. And we will see you next time. 